because how can you oh, oh, I don't know. I even don't just even know. just the day where you have to do it, even just the one day, sometimes I take big poops and it's hard. Can you imagine like oh a, a human? A human. A human? <laughs> If that's not the beginning little segment for our episode, I, I don't know what will be. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the everyone enjoying it to the awkwardness existing in the new format of the NBA All-Star Game Draft. It's Adam Amawala. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's going a lot better as soon as I found out the information about the new draft format. It literally seems like it was designed by us. Like It's, it's, <laughs> it's something that is going to create the most possible drama and spiciness, and I am all for it. For anyone unaware, the NBA, last night, we're recording this on January 25th, on January 24th, thank goodness, something big will have to break today because of the horse recording curse, but at least we got this in the pockets of our recording. What they're going to do for the NBA All-Star Game Draft is rather than have it televised on TNT a week or two before the game, and I would never watch it because it was just a waste of time and it would take too long and there'd be loads of commercials. I would just watch like a supercut highlight thing after where they just condensed everything. Right. They are going to playground style draft the teams. They've got team captains. They'll be picking their players live on the court in Salt Lake City, Utah before the game starts in front of 18,300 people. And if they don't go full straight up playground style, people lined up and two people left standing awkwardly alone, <laughs> I will be furious. Yeah, I, I don't know whose idea this was, but I could not be more of a fan of it. Like, and, and also just in terms of ratings, how many people actually tune in for the half hour before the All-Star game to see all the crap and like a, a bad national anthem performed by Fergie or whoever it is? And then Common coming in saying, oh, He's the greatest player you've ever seen. He's too hot to handle. Make some noise, y'all, for Julius Randle. Like, we don't need to hear the Dr. Seuss couplets. Common has such Lin-Manuel Miranda vibes. It's so corny. Yeah, it's a pretty good comp. Did we just discuss the common things, or have we done a segment about the common things? I feel like Future 3 on 3 is his worst and also worst things that he did for that NBA All-Star game where he did his cute little couplets. Yeah, I don't know that we ever have, but uh, I would be curious to go back and see what he rhymed with a Tetacumpo. <laughs> <laughs> I did one day just watch it, and the slant rhymes are... Who lots of uh, lots of italics, one could say. So it's definitely one of those like who asked for this sort of things. At least get Walt Clyde Frazier to do it. Gosh, that would be good. Gosh, that would be good. Anyway, this is going to be a great addition to the All Star Game. It makes me honestly want to watch it, and I think we should stream it. We can talk about what we did for a recent streaming thing, but I feel like us streaming at least this portion of the All Star Game would be a hoot. I'm sad to say that I will be I will be out and about during the All Star Game with some with some friends. When is the All Star Game? Uh, it's Sunday, February nineteenth. I think is the date. Oh, I will also be out in a boot. So we are in the same boot. Well, we'll sure as hell talk about it. Yes, we will indeed. Let's talk about some other basketball stuff as well. But let's get ready to talk about some basketball stuff in the Teal Memorial locker room. Teal's doing great. The locker room is great. It's nice and clean. It smells nice in here. Wonderful spot. You know what? Teal, 
Never the last pick. True, true. Now, you know who also is never the last pick? Never going to get in an awkward situation of standing in front of tens of thousands of people. Probably our newest patron. It is our newest patron. So shout out to our newest patron, who is Serenity Bud. So shout out to Serenity. Thank you for supporting the show. And of course, thank you to our producer level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, Cade the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Michaela Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Bourgeley, Weird Questions, Top 5 All-Star Pick Steph Curry for three? Bang. Lobster Bisquay, Hi Trish, Ginger Spurs Boy, Nicole Arsenal, Something Mean About the Knicks, Stubby Boardman Gets Paid, and Chase Underulo. We didn't even plan it that way. That's just how in sync Shubes and I are. I didn't know he was going to start by talking about the All-Star Game situation, and I just, I just knew that I had to make some sort of Steph Curry All-Star Game reference. The chemistry. It's so good we're doing it even when we aren't directly speaking with each other. Just subconscious communication. It's fantastic. It's true. You know what else is fantastic? being sponsored and getting some money to keep doing this show for all of you. It's quite nice. I'm a big fan of it. How about you tell us about our sponsor this episode? I certainly will. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, when you're at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or feel like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. I think we've all experienced this before. If you are distracted, if there are things in your life that you want to deal with, are unable to deal with, it completely distracts you from getting to the things that are actually important and the things that matter. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of yourself because when you feel empowered, you are more prepared to take on everything everything life throws at you. I've talked about this many times before. I will talk about it again. I am a proponent of therapy. I am actively seeking getting back into therapy. I think it is a good call for anyone, regardless of where your mental health is at that moment, whether you need some help, whether you just want a little routine maintenance. I think it's always great to be mindful of one's mental health. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. All you do is fill out a brief question to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if for whatever reason that particular therapist is not a good fit for you. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash horse today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash horse. Now, before we get into shouting out our own stuff, we do have a combined live event that will be happening. We're going to be doing another one of our digital live streams for Horse. It's been a minute since we've done one of those. March 1st, we are going to be doing a stream. We'll probably do it around 7 p.m. Eastern time. We don't have the details set quite yet, but if you either watched or heard about when we did our live stream where we ranked all of the NBA dance teams, it'll be something fun and silly and digital so that folks literally anywhere the internet is is sold, can watch, and then you'll get access to a replay of it as well. But yeah, mark your calendars. March 1st, we'll start putting together the plan, but just wanted to get the date out there so everybody made sure to be on the prowl. We'll post about it on social media. Follow us on our horse accounts so you can see updates. Woo! Yes. Now, Adam, you got anything fun coming on the horizon? Any shows? Anything people should be looking out for aside from your cool reels that Usain Bolt now watches, apparently? It is true. Usain Bolt did like one of my reels. And then a couple days later, he was talking about how he lost 10 million euros. Uh, coincidence? <laughs> 
I think so. I think it was completely unrelated. Um, yeah, I don't even know the details, but I just saw an article a couple days later uh, about Usain Bolt. I think getting getting screwed over by some people. But anyway, yes. Uh, if you want to see any of my any of my reels, where uh, recently the the cat um, that that you Shubes became friends with last week, who's currently sitting behind me on this bed. She went viral. Actually, when a cat goes viral, it's called going feral. I don't know if you know that, but <laughs> she went she went feral yesterday. I, I just I spent all my time editing editing comedy reels that sometimes get hundreds of thousands of views and sometimes only my mom and I see them. And then I post a video of a cat, twenty thousand views. The internet is stupid and everything makes me angry. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to check out any of that stuff, uh, you can follow me at Adam Mamawala. I'll have upcoming tour dates. Um, nothing really new to update. Still have the Colorado stuff coming up. Still have the Vegas stuff. But to the Colorado listeners, I want to encourage you to go to the Tuesday show. There's a Tuesday show in Denver. That is Tuesday, March 7th. I would prefer that you go to that one rather than the weekend shows. You can still go to the weekend shows, but I really want you to go to the Tuesday show. So there you go. What do you got? I am happy to announce that thanks to you, I now have an LA show in the books, you hooked Hell me up yeah. with a phenomenal venue run by a phenomenal person, and it's all very nice and wholesome, and we're going to do a double bill. First time I've ever done this where we're doing an 8 o'clock The Newest Olympian Show and then a 10 o'clock Potterless Show. So just four hours of me podcasting, baby. So it's You better bring some apples, my friend. I'm going to bring apples. I'm going to drink so much water. I've got costume changes. I might bring multiple pairs of socks in case my feet get sweaty. Who's to say? So that is going to be happening on February 21st. So that means San Diego is on February 20th. Los Angeles is on February 21st. There is a discount if you buy tickets to both shows and then San Francisco on the 23rd. So for my little California oh, <laughs> wow. that's happening in February, you can get tickets at potterlesspodcast.com slash live or thenewsolympian.com slash live. And if you live in Europe, I am really making some moves on the Europe tour. I'm doing this cool thing called sending lots of emails right before I go to bed and right after I wake up because that's how time zones work. And there are some promising things happening in terms of shows being in the month of March in Dublin, London, Amsterdam, Oslo, Helsinki, and Munich. I'm trying to get Copenhagen and Berlin in the mix too, but I've had, cool. I've had some good success there. Once I have things all locked in, I will let you know, but that is looking promising for some Potterless shows some the New Olympian shows and some combo shows and at least one thing where I do, like I'm doing in LA, where I do one show and then the other on the same day. Very cool. And might I recommend the schedule send feature for those emails? Oh, that's what I've been doing. I've been schedule sending for 3.01 a.m. So that becomes 8 a.m. in Europe. And then <laughs> I wake up at 9 and just check as many as I can and try to reply to things because then it's like, you know, end, end of business time there. Right. And then I send off a bunch of emails. By the way, if you're going to be on the West Coast at that time, you might as well just make a little stop in Salt Lake City and go to the All-Star Game. Uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, I will be at a bachelor party for a very good friend of mine. And I don't know that it would be acceptable mm. to take a quick little flight over, but you know, maybe, maybe I can weasel away. Right. Yeah. Also, uh, bachelor parties, not really common in Salt Lake City because it's really hard to get drunk on 4% alcohol beer. I think that has changed now, but yeah, it's a, it would be an interesting choice for a bachelor party. I know more about that law than I think the average human <laughs> because I have friends and family that live in Salt Lake. And let me tell you, it's weird and strange, but we've got basketball to discuss. So let's get into NBQ&A. What's our question this episode, Adam? And this question comes from a listener named Brody. The subject is D-League. And the question says, hi, Mike and Adam. 
Today's That Actually Happened got me curious about something. This is related to uh, Shub's CBA that actually happened from our last episode. Question is, does the NBA D-League have franchises slash feeder teams similar to the MLB, or how does that work? For example, I live in central Illinois, where we have the minor league team, the Peoria Chiefs. Uh, Adam may be familiar, as they are notable for repeatedly switching affiliations between the Cubs and Cardinals. Yes, I am aware, and it makes me very angry. But... Uh, we love attending Chiefs games in the summer because it's close to the MLB experience without the same price tag. Does the D-League have a similar setup? Thank you for your time. Love the show, Brody. Thank you for loving the show, Brody. Thank you for the question. Uh, Shubes, you want to take that one to uh, to begin with? Yes. So for the most part, aside from two exceptions, every single G-League team has an NBA affiliate. And for the most part, they are usually located nearby, but some of them are kind of far away. Like I believe the Miami Heat's team is in Sioux Falls, which is quite far away from Miami. Yes, yeah. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The Sioux Falls Skyforce are the... Say that five times fast. G- <laughs> Sioux Falls Skyforce, Sioux Falls Skyforce, Sioux Falls Skyforce, Sioux Falls Skyforce. So they that was four. are... That was four. Oh, Sioux, Fall, Sioux Falls Skyforce. <laughs> <laughs> Disqualified. Ah, they are the team that is linked to the Miami Heat. But yes, basically every team has an NBA affiliate. There's two exceptions. One is the Capitanes de Cuidad de Mexico, the Mexico City team, they are not affiliated, and the NBA G League Ignite, which is a special team that I'm not 100% sure how they work, but they are basically the team that is the option if a player doesn't want to go to college but really wants to go to the NBA draft basically just after one or two years. So I believe since they are more focused on just kind of being a feeder for folks to get into the NBA directly and get drafted and have the opportunity for players to get direct money as opposed to under the table slash name and likeness money. The G League Ignite is not officially linked to a team. But yeah, every other every other team is linked to an NBA team. There are particular contracts where they can have players go back and forth. Those are called two-way deals where I think each team has two roster slots where you can have someone basically go back and forth between the two teams at will. And there's other certain contract things that can work out between the teams. But aside from the two-way players, just because you're on an NBA-affiliated G League team doesn't necessarily mean that you only have to play for that NBA team. Other teams can sign you. There's G League showcases and stuff like that. So lots of different things there. But yeah, similar to minor league baseball, there are some links. They're not as direct as baseball, but they exist. Yeah, and that's kind of the whole thing that Mike was talking about in our last episode with the CBA is that once they no longer had an affiliation with the NBA, they essentially became valueless because why would anyone want to play for a team that had no direct route to the to the NBA? So um, also to, to answer the other part of your question, which was about are the tickets more affordable? I have never been to a G League game. I have to think so. I'm just now, yeah, so I just looked up the Windy City Bulls, who are the Bulls affiliate, um, and their tickets for as low as $15. So um, certainly certainly cheaper than an NBA game, and much the same way that minor league baseball gives that experience of still seeing a pretty high level of the sport without paying the exorbitant prices and theoretically the you know $15 for a, a Miller Lite tall boy. Um, I, I, it seems like the, the G League gives that opportunity. What is the closest G League team to us? The Westchester Knicks, I believe. I've not seen a Westchester Knicks game. And then the Long Island Nets, right? Yeah. I've not seen a Westchester Knicks game, but I went to a Liberty game when they played in the Westchester arena where the Westchester Knicks play. And that could be a cool thing where 
courtside seats to a G League game can't be expensive. That could be something fun where you and I just sit courtside for like maybe $50. Yeah, like it can't. It has to be even less than a WNBA game courtside. And I've gotten courtside WNBA tickets for less than $80 before. Yeah. Do you know if the New York Liberty have Liberty Mutual as a sponsor? Because if not, what are they doing? Huge missed opportunity. They could literally just play that jingle every game. Liberty, 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 Liberty. We got to start pitching our brand awareness. We're alarmingly good at I this. Know. The Jim Beam. <laughs> the Jim I Beam. I know. Beam. God, like the Jim Beam. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oy, oy, oy. Well, thank you for your question, Brody. Now we can get into Full Court Press. Get a like the news. I do. So we've discussed the All-Star Game format thing, which I think is going to be great and fun and wonderful and amazing. The other news that I had at least prepped for this one is not great and fun and wonderful and amazing. Do you hear about everything that's going on with Dierica Hamby and the WNBA and getting traded because she's pregnant? I did, um, but I will let you go ahead and, and take that one. Yeah, it is not a good situation. It stinks quite a bit. So Dierica Hamby is a very good WNBA player. She was a member of the Las Vegas Aces, who just won the WNBA championship this year. She's at least a two-time All-Star. She's a two-time sixth woman of the year. She's a very good player. And, and unfortunately, she posted something on her Instagram story after a trade happened that made the trade look really bad. When I first saw the trade, I saw that before she had spoken about it. And the trade seemed very strange because it was basically the Aces trading Derricka Hamby for not great picks or players. And Derricka Hamby is very good and she's under a pretty solid contract for her skills. And she's an important part of the Aces. She's been on the team for a while, beloved by her teammates. And what really stinks about this is that she's pregnant and it seems like she's being traded just because she's pregnant. She announced that she was going to be having a second child at the Victory Championship Parade, which is the coolest place to announce that you're having your second kid. That's really cool. But then unfortunately, this trade really kind of seems like, oh, you're pregnant, we want to trade you. And it really stinks. She posted something on her Instagram and we'll link to it where she kind of explains the situation. She has a first panel thanking the city of Las Vegas, saying all nice things about her teammates, her friends, all that kind of stuff. She has a third panel, which talks about being excited to be on the Los Angeles team. And then she has a panel in the middle that I'm just going to read because I can't say it any better than she said. So here's what Dierga says. With that being said, I'm heartbroken. Being traded is a part of the business. Being lied to, bullied, manipulated, and discriminated against is not. I've had my character and work ethic attacked. I was promised things to entice me to sign my contract extension that were not followed through on. I was accused of signing my extension knowingly pregnant. This is false. I was told that I was a, quote, question mark, and that it was said that I would, quote, get pregnant again, because she's given birth during her career before, and there was a concern for my level of commitment to the team. I was told that, quote, I didn't hold up my end of the bargain because, quote, no one expected me to get pregnant in the next two years. Did the team expect me to promise not to get pregnant in exchange for the contract extension? I was asked if I planned my pregnancy. When I responded no, I was then told that I was, quote, not taking precautions to not get pregnant. I was being traded because, quote, I wouldn't be ready and we need bodies. I plan to play the season, and I have expressed my desire to play the season. I have pushed myself throughout my entire pregnancy and have continued to work out, basketball included, on my own and with team staff, even on off days where it was uncomfortable to walk, only to be inaccurately told that, quote, I was not taking my workout seriously. And, quote, yeah, we just don't see that in regards to her return. 
I remained transparent with everyone within the organization, and yet my honesty was met with coldness, disrespect, and disregard from members of management. I've only put this organization first since day one before any of them were here. Quote, you're getting moved regardless, and it's best for your career that you move on from the aces. The unprofessional and unethical way that I have been treated has been traumatizing to be treated this way by an organization, all caps, by women who are mothers who have claimed to, quote, be in these shoes, who preach family chemistry and women's empowerment is disappointing and leaves me sick to my stomach. We fought for provisions that would finally support and protect player parents. This cannot now be used against me. It's awful. I I mean... This is something that happens in all work environments, but uh, there's a reason that it used to be the norm that when a woman would go on a job interview, part of what she was allowed to be asked was, do you plan to have a family? And the reason that that was asked was so as to discriminate against people who, quote unquote, like are picking their family over their jobs, which is bullshit, first of all. Um, But yeah, unfortunately, I could imagine how when your profession is something that involves you physically doing something with your body, people have questions about that. But the the implication that, first of all, you're choosing one over the other as if those two things can't coexist, but also that there would ever be any expectation of asking someone to not have children to sign a contract. I mean, for God's sakes, how, how much do we talk about letting women control their own bodies? And, and we're talking about a a, a team and organization in a league that should be advocating for women doing the exact same thing. It's unconscionable. It's really disappointing. And what she refers to at the end of her post is that for the new CBA that the players union and the owners reached in 2020, they really ramped up the benefits to a point where I didn't realize that they had these in and it seems really nice. And that's what stinks is that they fought hard to get good provisions in and now it's almost backfiring in a way. So apparently in the CBA, players receive their full salary when they're on maternity leave, even if they don't play. And in the previous CBA, they would just get half of their salary. They also now get a $5,000 childcare stipend and two bedroom apartments for players with children provided to them. Mothers are also given comfortable, protected, and secluded space for nursing and access to refrigeration for breast milk, and they can get up to $60,000 in reimbursements for fertility slash infertility treatment costs, adoption, surrogacy, and a word that is very, uh, oocyte cryopreservation, which I guess is a fancy way to say freezing your eggs. So they have done good things in the CBA and for a team to go around that and basically trade a player, not even because she's going to be pregnant during the season, but because they think that she won't be ready for the season by the time it comes around this summer is terrible. It's really, really disappointing. Now, have the Aces responded and and have they tried to defend themselves in any way? I have not seen a response from the Aces yet, but I have seen that the WNBA Players Union is investigating this and might be suing the Aces or filing a complaint with the league. They're basically looking into this being unfair, which it a thousand percent is. Yeah. And even if they don't get found as guilty or whatever, what player is going to want to sign with the Aces? This is incredibly bad press. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, if if I'm a, a free agent considering where to play, and I even have a thought that I want to have a family, the Aces would be at the bottom of my list because of this. Yeah, it's it's really sad, especially after coming off a championship season. The vibes are supposed to be good. Derek Hamby just helped you win a ring, and this is how you thank her? Shipping her out of town because she's going to be dealing with post-pregnancy things? Yeah, it's not, it's not great. 
On a less bleak WNBA note, I, I did see you tweeting about some sort of update regarding WNBA travel and Brianna Stewart. Can you can you shed some light on what's going on there? Yeah, so Brianna Stewart, who I pray will sign with the Seattle Storm and come back to my beloved team rather than join a different team in free agency, she's one of the best players in the league and makes the most money in the league. And she tweeted out that she would love to be a part of a deal that helps subsidize charter travel for the entire WNBA. She says that she would contribute name and likeness, posts, and production hours to ensure that they can all travel in a way that prioritizes player health and safety, which ultimately results in better product. And then she asked in this tweet, who's with me? And then some folks were replying, including Horace, saying that we would gladly be the official in-flight podcast if need be. So I think this would be very cool. I think this is something that the WNBA is on the cusp of achieving. They've been getting more funding. It's important to the players. We've covered on this podcast in just last season alone, weird issues with flight delays and players getting stranded in airports and having to sleep in airports or get hotels and play a game on just a few hours of sleep. I think charter flights for the WNBA teams make sense. Apparently, it's a major factor in Brianna Stewart's free agency, which, look, Seattle, you've got Boeing literally right there. Come on, make something happen. We can get this done, can't we? (laughs) I think that it's something that should completely happen for the WNBA teams. And if it takes some sort of player coalition thing where they team up and do commercials for Delta or whatever to make it happen, I appreciate that at least one star player in the league wants to make this happen for the benefit of everyone else in the league. Look, Southwest could use some good press. Maybe Southwest partners with the WNBA. Ooh. Uh, I mean, it, will it be kind of chaotic that no one gets to have an assigned seat? Probably, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Will it be a problem that they have four layovers for a two-hour flight? Who's to say? <laughs> but the bag's check-free. Who doesn't want to fly from New York to Michigan via Oakland? I mean, it just makes so much sense. Would this be a situation, though, where we see players getting their phones at the free throw line and trying to check in when boarding starts so that they get in the A group? Yeah, I mean... You have to, you just have to set an alarm. (laughs) That's the only way to do it. So hopefully something good will happen there. But I think that concludes Full Court Press. Get it like the news. You'll now hear some quick ads and then we'll get into Adam's That Actually Happened. So as we record this on January 25th, 2023, it will be three years ago tomorrow that Kobe Bryant died tragically in a helicopter crash along with his daughter Gigi and seven other passengers. I've talked about this in passing on the pod before, but I was in Los Angeles when this happened, and it was unlike anything I had ever experienced. So for today's That Actually Happened, though it's a bit of a downer, I wanted to recount what that week was like in detail. Sure, yeah, I mean... Look, it's a big landmark moment in NBA history, and it's one of those you remember exactly where you were and what you were doing type things. It was just so surprising. Yeah, you were on a a bachelor party, like in the hiking or something, right? I was on my own bachelor party. We were just hanging out in Phoenix, Arizona, and we were walking around where the arena is, the place where the sun's and Mercury play. And we were just grabbing lunch and got the news. It was wild. So as a comic in New York City, I've made a habit of going out to LA approximately once a year to do a week of shows. And it just so happened that I planned my 2020 trip for the final week of January. So I had arrived on Friday, January 24th, did a few shows that evening, and then played pickup basketball at a YMCA on that Saturday with a comic friend of mine, J.B. Ball, who we should have on the show, actually. But he played Division I basketball in college, I believe at the University of Tampa. 
Uh, it became immediately clear to me that I could not hang with these players at the Y. Uh, but I bring this up because after playing some ball, we went out to eat and JB and I were talking about hoops and he brought up this sketch he had produced for Comedy Central called Who's the Goat, LeBron or Jordan? In the sketch, JB and another comic are getting their haircut at a barbershop when a heated debate starts about who the goat is. Uh, it escalates to ridiculous levels, but the punchline ends up being that someone suggests that Kobe is in fact the goat, and the only thing that the MJ and LeBron fans can find common ground on is that Kobe is definitely third at best. So this led to a whole conversation about where Kobe ranked in the discussion of greatest players of all time. A day later, I was in my hotel room in Burbank, California, on the phone with another comic friend of mine, and out of nowhere, he goes, did you see that Kobe Bryant died? And comics are weird and sick people. So immediately I was like, what a weird joke. Like, why would you say that? And he goes, I'm serious. Kobe Bryant just died. And in that moment, I genuinely couldn't process the words he was saying to me. So while I'm on the phone, I go to TMZ, which sadly has become the most reliable place to get celebrity death news. And there it was in big letters, Kobe Bryant dead at 41, killed in helicopter crash. And I still, like, I, I literally remember what the font looked like because it was one of those moments where you feel like you're in a movie or something. Like, it just, I'm, I was reading the words, but it just felt like something that was fake somehow. Well, and especially because the initial reports were from TMZ, there's just an inherent distrust of the legitimacy of them reporting this. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't feel like you don't want it to be real. And then you see it's as TMZ says, and you're like, okay, maybe it's not real. Right. Maybe something else happened, or maybe it's just some sort of sensationalist headline type thing. Right, right. And that's how, uh, when Shaq has talked about it, he's described that same thing where like someone, I think one of his sons came and told him that, and he's like, get that out of my face. Like, I don't want to see that. Like, he thought it was some sort of celebrity death hoax type of thing. Right. Um, so anyway, I get off the phone, I turn on the TV, and there it is on ESPN, breaking news that Kobe was gone. Um, now, I, I don't know if you've ever been particularly affected by a celebrity death, but I had not that I could ever recall. Like, I, I remember where I was when I found out that Michael Jackson had died. I remember even finding out that Princess Diana had died when I was like 10 years old. And I knew that it was important to people, but there had never been a celebrity death that struck me the way Kobe's did. And honestly, I wouldn't have expected it because I was never a Kobe fan per se. Like I appreciated his greatness and I watched a lot of his career, but I'm a Bulls fan. Like I'm not a, a Lakers guy. Um, I'm pretty sure I wasn't even rooting for the Lakers during a lot of their championship runs. Like, do, do you have a moment in your life, uh, athlete or otherwise, that like struck you particularly? The only one that really comes to mind is the Robin Williams one, just because I was yeah. old enough and it seemed like the circumstances surrounding it were sad enough. And I think it was just because he was such a positive, comedic, lighthearted guy that so many people liked that yeah. that felt especially sad. But yeah, I don't know that any particular athlete death has really stood out. I think just because aside from Kobe, I can't really think of someone who I liked that wasn't just you know, dying of old age. So right. I don't think there has been one that's truly shocking. And same thing, I didn't really like Kobe that much as a player. Obviously with his, you know, troubling past as well, I was always kind of wishy-washy on Kobe. So when it happened, it was, it wasn't that I was as sad. I was just like, it just didn't, the, the resounding emotion was that it just didn't feel real. Like it just felt impossible. Like he was just right. too young and too, I don't know, it, it just seemed like, how could how could he get in a helicopter crash? Like that just doesn't make sense. Like Kobe could hire the greatest pilot ever. Why would this happen? Right. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to me that when something tragic happens, people often get this weird rush out of like being the person to share the news. You know what I mean? Like there's this, I've always found that very off-putting, the whole like, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Like that sort of morbid gossip that ensues. But in this particular case, just yeah. alone in a hotel room in a city across the country from my home, I felt like I needed to talk to people. And the the first call that I made was to my friend, Justin. Um, this was a, a friend of mine who I'm very close with from college. He is the, the single biggest Kobe fan I've ever known. Like, not even just Lakers, but specifically Kobe. He was someone who, when we interviewed Jeff Perlman, had some uh, some questions that he that he passed along for us to, to ask. So I called him and he didn't pick up. Um, nice. And I texted him. And I actually, I went back through my texts because I still have them. But what I what I texted him was, oh my God, Justin, check the news. This can't be real. Kobe died in a helicopter crash today. I'm shaking writing this. What the fuck? Uh, I wouldn't end up talking to him until later that day. But in the meantime, I called several other friends, all people whose friendships had always involved our shared love of basketball. Um, because to your point, like what you're just saying, Kobe felt larger than life. Like it didn't seem possible that in the blink of an eye, he could just be gone forever. And it was it was very jarring. So after spending some time chatting with a few friends on the phone, I walked across the street to get some lunch at Chipotle, which side note, what a wasted opportunity to get actual authentic Mexican food in Los Angeles. But anyway, like you weren't in the right headspace to make smart culinary decisions. No. Yeah. I was like so shaken that it was one of those times where I'm like, I know that based on the time it is, I am supposed to eat now. So I'm going to go do that. So even walking like a block to get food, everything and everyone just felt so quiet. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but you would walk past people and they would give you this like, have you heard the news sort of look? It was it was very odd. And you could see in, in people's eyes that like some of them had been crying. And there was this weird energy in the air that I've only ever felt a couple times before. And, and the times I can recall were those last couple days before the COVID lockdowns began, like walking around New York at that time. And there was just this weird energy. Um, and also I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, right before Hurricane Sandy. And as they were like telling people to evacuate and, and all of that sort of stuff there, it was like a similar where no one was actually saying anything, but you could just tell everybody was thinking the same thing. And it's it's a very, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. And I felt that in LA that entire week, like the entire city was grieving. Even people who didn't care about basketball seemingly were devastated by this. And I think fundamentally, it was one of those very visceral reminders of the fragility of life. Like it doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished. It doesn't matter how many millions of dollars you have. There's no there's no escaping the end that, that will meet us all. And the fact that it happened so suddenly, um, it just, uh, th I think that's why it hit so many people hard, you know? Yeah. And I feel like back in the 70s and 80s, it was this thing of, oh, famous player is really into flying small aircrafts and then got into a plane wreck. Yeah. Like Thurman Munson or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And and that's something where you could chalk it up to, okay, people weren't as safe back then. Okay. People didn't have the technology back then. And I guess aside from Kobe's, I can't think of that type of celebrity death happening where it just felt like, oh, this isn't a problem anymore. People are smarter. They hire experts. They don't take risks like that. And and that's what really sucked about it was that it did seem like it was a weather-related situation. And I don't know. Obviously, we don't know exactly all what went into the details. But what really makes it more crushing and when I really started to get emotional was the fact that kids were involved in the right. flight, too. That's just like that took it to a whole nother level. Yeah. So basically, the, the helicopter was going to 
the I think it's called the Mamba Academy. It's like Kobe's uh, basketball facility. So it was his daughter, Gigi, um, who was a very good basketball player. And I think two of her teammates on that same team and, and some of their parents. Um, and yeah, my, my memory of it without even looking into it is that it was like foggy and overcast and probably they should have just waited to go, but for whatever reason, they went ahead with it and like the pilot wasn't able to see the hills ahead of them. So, um, now bear in mind that I was out there to specifically do comedy shows and that started to feel weird in and of itself because no one felt like laughing. Like it was just not a good, it's not a good environment for comedy. And the shows that I did, it felt like the elephant in the room to not address Kobe's death, but it also felt weird talking about it. So there was, sure. it was hard to find that, that middle ground. But throughout that week, as I drove around the city doing shows, uh, you know, in, in my rental car, uh, I phrased that weird. I wasn't doing shows in the rental car. I was driving around <laughs> in the rental car doing shows. Uh, <laughs> I was just running bits in my rental car. Um, but I kept the car radio on sports talk radio for one week straight. And every day, it was just a stream of callers talking about what Kobe had meant to them, what he had meant to the city, their favorite memories of him. In our recent interview with the authors of Fans Have More Friends, they gave us hard evidence of the power that sports has to bring people together. And I have never seen that more evident than this week in LA. I was staying by myself, so I had a lot of time to consume everything that was being released. Every interview, every remembrance, every tribute at an NBA stadium. I remember how seeing Shaq in the state that he was was something that really affected me. Just like seeing someone that physically large breaking down in that way, it's kind of like your brain can't <laughs> fully figure it out. Right, and especially because Shaq is not a serious guy at all, big goofball, right. and his emotions are either being laughy and goofy or like being very angry that Charles Barkley has insinuated that Shaquille O'Neal is not the greatest player to grace a basketball court. Right. So to see sadness from Shaq, in addition to just seeing someone that large cry, it's just confusing knowing Shaq. You're right. like, wait a second, Shaq's the happy guy or the angry guy. He's never the sad guy. Right. Uh, yeah. And I watched all of those interviews. I remember like Jerry West looked like he could barely stand. Like Jerry West was kind of a, a father figure to to Kobe in certain ways. Um, I, I remember the the eight second violations and 24 second violations in, in Kobe's honor. Um, for anyone who's not clear on what that means, Kobe wore number eight and number 24 throughout his career. And it just so happened that those are the the violations that happen. Uh, it's eight second violation if you don't cross over half court in the first eight seconds, and then a twenty four second violation if you don't shoot within that time. So, as a way to honor him, teams were intentionally taking those uh, penalties at the beginning of games when everybody played their first games those week. Um, I, I remember like current players who had grown up idolizing Kobe finding out the news. There were all these videos of like Jamal Murray and people like that warming up before games and 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 getting that information um but throughout that week as i drove around la i started to see billboards and murals honoring kobe Gigi, and the other victims i saw purple and gold lights all over the place i started to hear about the shrine going up at the staples center uh now crypto.com but uh before i headed back to new york i decided to go to the staples center and see it for myself I also wanted to leave something for my friend Justin because I knew what it would mean to him. So when I arrived, it was it was truly beyond anything I had ever imagined. Like the, the just the scope of the memorial was unlike anything I had ever seen. Like thousands and thousands of balloons and flowers and basketballs and sneakers and paintings, like you name it, it was there. The ones that really got me were the the handwritten cards that children had written to Kobe. Um 
uh, and some some to Gigi. I had never seen so many grown men openly crying in one place. And the thing is, none of us knew the guy. Like we knew the TV version of him. We knew the competitor we saw on the court. And yet we all felt this connection for some reason. And I'll post photos of everything I saw that day because words cannot possibly do it justice. But I signed a board. They had these these big uh, boards that you could you could write on. Uh, I signed it in my friend's name. I wrote, um, "Thank you for the joy you brought us with love from New Jersey, Justin." Um, I then left a Lakers ribbon for him as well that said, uh, "On behalf of my friend Justin, the biggest Kobe fan I ever knew, thank you for everything. Our lives were better because of you. We will never forget you, Mamba forever." R.I.P. Kobe and Gigi. Now, you might be hearing all of this and thinking to yourself, why would people care so much about someone they've never met? More importantly, why celebrate a man who was flawed in the ways that Kobe was? Uh, Mike alluded to it a little bit uh, before, but in 2003, Kobe was accused of sexual assault in a now infamous court case in Colorado. Um, Kobe, who was married at the time, admitted that he had had an adulterous relationship with the woman, but maintained that the encounter was consensual. Though criminal charges were dropped, he ended up settling out of court. The details of the incident remain unclear, but it cast a shadow on Kobe's life and career. Uh, Kobe's reputation as a player also didn't help during the early part of his career as he was known for being hard on teammates in the same ruthless kind of way that his idol Michael Jordan had been. But in his later years, Kobe seemed to change. He had kids to whom, by all accounts, he was a wonderful father. He mentored younger players. He was a huge advocate for the WNBA and for women's basketball. And he seemed to have softened in a lot of ways. While that does not change or erase his past, uh, it's meaningful, uh, at least to me. And I can't speak for you, Mike, but like I want to believe that people have the capacity to change. And it felt like Kobe had a lot more to give the world, to say nothing of his daughter Gigi and the other seven victims of that crash. And in having had some time to reflect on why his death hit me so hard, I've landed on something meaningful. Kobe had been a part of my consciousness and part of my universe for as long as I could remember. He entered the NBA in 1996. I was in fourth grade at the time. When he retired in 2016, I was 29 years old. I had graduated high school and college. I had made my own mistakes and learned my own lessons. I had pursued a career that felt insane and was trying to channel some of the determination and grit and work ethic that made Kobe who he was. And that's why I think it hurt. Like I didn't really know a world that Kobe wasn't a part of. Somehow, even though I never met the guy, it just didn't seem right that he wasn't around anymore. And about a month later, at Kobe's memorial service, Michael Jordan spoke with tears streaming down his face, a man known for his lack of emotion and empathy, uh, absolutely leveled by grief. And looking back three years later, it still feels surreal. Like It's strange that we'll never get to see Kobe courtside at a game again. It, it felt wrong that we didn't get to see him last season as the NBA honored the 75 greatest players of all time during the league's 75th anniversary. And it's sad to know that we'll never see a gray-haired old Kobe at a basketball game like we got to see Bill Russell all those years. But the legacy of Kobe lives on. So in closing, I'll share a tweet uh, that I found from the week that he died. Uh, this was from Twitter user at Tyler Atoms, A-T-O-M-S. It says, quote, if you want to see Kobe, he's all around us. He's Devin Booker's post-up game. He's DeMar DeRozan's footwork. He's Kyrie Irving's clear out and let me go one on five mentality. He's LeBron's leadership. He's Luka Doncic, Trey Young, and so many others emerging stardom. He's eternal, end quote. So while at the time it felt like bad luck to be in LA that week, I'm actually forever grateful that I was able to share that experience with a bunch of strangers who love basketball as much as you and I do. And that actually happened. Yeah, really touching. I think 
you're right that it is tricky and confusing given Kobe's past, but I also agree that he did seem like he was softening and getting better. And I think that's sad is, you know, who's to say if he ever would have or could have legally like addressed the situation from 2003, maybe he would have spoken up about it. Maybe he would have tried to like do whatever he could to do right by it. And the fact that that potential was gone, that was also sad because who's to say that like a 50 year old Kobe Bryant would have tried to make up in any way that he could for that situation, you know, like that, that potential is just not there. Right. And he was being a really great father to his kids. And maybe he would have become a huge advocate for women's sports, the WNBA. He was super content with being a girl dad. I think he has a whole, one of the late night shows he was on, he just talked about how happy he was about being a girl dad. I know reporters would always be like, oh, you hope you have a son so that you can, you know, raise your own Kobe. And he was like, no, I've got daughters and I love them. And that was cool. And that not being there as well. The, the potential of him and Gigi and all the other people involved, that that's also what really makes it crushing. Yeah. One of the one of the most famous photos that they showed a lot during that time was Kobe and Gigi sitting courtside at a game and Kobe's got that orange WNBA hoodie, that, that same one that you have. Um, and I do think, especially because of how good his daughter was at basketball and of, of his children, uh, Gigi was the one who was like most most likely to follow in his footsteps. Like she wanted to go to UConn. I, I have every reason to believe that she would have been like the Bronny James of women's basketball in that way. Except, I mean, I've seen videos of her play. That girl could yeah. hoop. She was very yeah. talented. So, um, it's it's sad to think of the involvement that Kobe might have had in the WNBA. And and again, like it shouldn't. The WNBA shouldn't need a, a a man vouching for it to raise its level, but I do think that because of Kobe's stature, um, that it would have been something like I, I w- it would not have surprised me if in some alternate timeline where the helicopter crash didn't happen, Gigi plays in the WNBA and Kobe is like the coach of that team or something like that. Yeah, or, or is an owner of a team or president of basketball operations or whatever. And at least he could have potentially helped the swaths of people that just reply to every ESPN tweet about the WNBA with like, oh, who cares? Like, why are you typing this out? You can just ignore things. It's so weird. It's so weird. So yeah. Now, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It's good to, to really put into context how strange of a day in history it was. And you being in LA makes it, you know, really, really real in a lot of ways that yeah. a lot of people couldn't feel. Yeah. Honestly, you you getting married was like one of the only good days in 2020. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Look, not not a lot of good stuff. So I'm glad that I could uh, I could do it, <laughs> especially on a leap day. It feels like extra pretend because my wedding was on leap day 2020. <laughs> is it uh, is it next year? 2024? Is that when when leap day will be again? Yep. That'll be our, our first anniversary. Kelly and I are going to try to do a thing. Obviously, you'll be invited. We're going to try to do a thing where every four years when we have like our actual true anniversary, you're trying to like mm-hmm. have a big party. Um, I love that because weddings are a weird thing where like if I if we had our wedding again today like it would be a completely different invite list a completely different roster for who would be groomsmen who would be at the bachelor party like you and I have grown so much closer since then like it's just such a it's such a weird world how that all works how it's just like a snapshot of time so if we can do something every four years to be like you know we made some really good friends or really strengthened friendships after our first, you know, after the wedding, then that's something we're going to try to do. So shout out to Leap Day for giving us that excuse. No, I absolutely love that. Uh, please do invite me uh, in, in approximately a year. And that also means that you and Kelly now have a year 
to find a way to reach out to Walt Clyde Frazier to tailor the event. Gosh, that could be fun. That could be really fun. Good idea. Oh, yeah. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three on three. For my three on three, I had already planned this as a way to combat the sadness of Full Court Press. So I'm ready to bring the good vibes in positive storytelling and end this on a fun, happy, smiley note. My three on three is three WNBA and three NBA success stories related to players that had children and then balled out. Oh, I love that. I think that's a, that's a perfect way to uh, to end on a higher note versus our full court press. And also, like, just to let you behind the curtain, Shubes and I don't always discuss what we're covering for these. So I'm I was really <laughs> hoping that you would not have a downer of a three <laughs> three. So I'm I'm glad that's not the case. The three saddest and the three yeah, most upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go with the NBA ones just because they're quicker and shorter and we'll end on the story of these incredibly powerful women. So my number three most impressive feat of, I guess, fatherhood for these NBA guys. Number three is Derek White. Derek White in these playoffs in the most recent season, so 2021 to 2022, he was on the Boston Celtics. He'd been traded from the Spurs and the Celtics were actually contending and they were looking like they were going to be good. He was one of these pieces of like, yeah, he's really good on this bad team. Now, if he's on this good team, maybe he can be a really good role player. And he was, you know, a bit up and down towards the end of the season. And then the playoffs came and he was playing like butt. He was averaging 6.7 points. He was shooting 23.7% from three, which is very bad. Average is like 33%, and this guy's supposed to be an above-average three-point shooter. And he was shooting 34.7% overall. Again, you want that number to be closer to 50. So not doing great, pretty disappointing, and folks were upset. Then his partner was giving birth. He missed a playoff game to be there for the birth of his child. He weirdly got flack for it, and I think that's ridiculous. It's, I don't care what game it is. This is your child. You're allowed to yeah. miss any game for this. It's, uh, I, that's, I hope that standard goes away. I think that's so weird. It's, yeah, it's incredibly weird. Now, he missed a game, he came back, and then he started playing much better. He wasn't great in his first two games back, but then he had a really solid run to help lead to help get the Celtics into the NBA Finals. And he didn't play amazingly in the Finals, but still, his after averages, he went up from 6.7 points to 10.6 points. He went up from 23.7% three-point shooting to 37.8% three-point shooting. And then his field goal percentage went up a little bit from 34.7% to 37.6%. So he basically became the player people were hoping he would be after he became a dad, which was pretty cool. Very cool. Now, the reason that this was spicy was because of what will be my number one. So we'll get to that later. But number two, this just felt like a quick and easy one. It wasn't in the middle of the season. It wasn't in the middle of a playoff run. But I did check. Steph Curry gave birth to his second daughter, Ryan, in July of 2015. And then in the season following, he won the MVP. So uh, pretty, 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 pretty good situation going on there, I would think. <laughs> I would think so. Shout out, shout out to Aisha. So he had won the, yes, shout out to his wife, Aisha. He had won the MVP the year prior, I believe. But then this season, 2015, 2016, was when he was the unanimous MVP, which no one has ever done before. And I don't know if anyone ever will do again. Basically, media members vote for 
who wins MVP. And I think it's 100 people, right? Maybe more, maybe 125. Yeah, it's a bunch of journalists, basically. A lot of people vote, and he got every single first place vote. Every single person picked him as the number one selection for MVP. No one's ever done that before. People have come close, but there's usually one weird writer who puts Michael Jordan second because he's a writer for the Utah Jazz, and he thinks it should have been Carl Malone, blah, 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 grumble, grumble, grumble. But unanimous MVP Steph Curry, after having a kid, that feels like a pretty great post-pregnancy performance. I would say so. Now, I do I do have to ask you because I'm I'm, I'm only giving you grief because you, you phrased it like Steph Steph Curry had a baby, which we all know he, yeah, he contributed yeah, yeah. to. I got I got a yes, no, yes, yes. But my question for you is because I have an answer to this. Do you think it's weird when a, a man and his uh his spouse have a, a baby and then he's like, I just had a baby? I feel like we is okay, but to say I as a man when you did like a tenth of a percent of the work. Yeah. feels weird. <laughs> Even a tenth, that is that is high. Yeah. I have for a very long time been anti saying we're pregnant because no, you're not. One of you is. You as the collective are not pregnant. Right, you can say we're having a baby. Yeah. We're expecting. We're expecting. Those right. I think are okay. But you're right, I haven't thought of that. But yes, I will try to be more conscious of that in how I say it, hopefully in my future, and then also in the rest of this three on three. But yeah. Well, I think people know what it means, but it sure. also sounds interesting yeah, when it's I, phrased I, that it's, way. It's no. Steph did not have the baby. Aisha had the baby. <laughs> so I think you got to give credit where credit's due because, look, as much as you want to say that it, you, you're trying your best, there there is nothing harder than actually producing the human. Like that is, I can't fathom. I cannot even imagine how tough that's got to be. And then it's not even just the nine months because of postpartum depression, like, and then breastfeed. There's so, there's so much. It is so hard. I have the utmost respect for folks who give birth. So let's get into the number one NBA pregnancy performance enhancement. This is what really set the tone for what people thought the Derek White situation could be. Do you remember when Fred Van Vliet turned into a different human being after his partner gave birth? I remember him getting really good, but I didn't recall that component of it. So tell us. Well, Fred Van Vliet, he just became Fred Van Vliet Sr. And he really emphasized becoming... Fred Van Vliet Sr. So this was during the Raptors' eventual championship run in the 2019 playoffs. And the Raptors were still playing well. Fred Van Vliet was not necessarily playing incredibly, though. At this point, he was the sixth man, so first guy off the bench, backing up Kyle Lowry, a point guard. Still a very important part of the team, but he wasn't necessarily the Fred Van Vliet that he became immediately after this. So before he became a dad, he was... Averaging four points a game, which is not that many. His field goal percentage was 25.6%. Again, that's about half of what you want it to be. His three-point percentage was 19.5%. Again, about half what you want it to be for a three-point shooter like Fred Van Vliet. And then his plus-minus, so plus-minus is a stat where basically you just track how the team is doing when you're on the court. If you played for one second and your team scored a basket for two and then you subbed out, you'd have a plus two. If you were on and the other team scored 10 points and you scored zero, you'd be a minus 10. So for those games, Fred Van Vliet was a minus 40, which is not Jeez good. Louise. 
Now, this is over a 15-game span, so not alarmingly bad, but still, he wasn't playing well. Then, his partner had a kid. He didn't miss any games. After the birth of Fred Van Vliet Jr., the Raptors ended up going 7-2. So before they were 9-6, they went 7-2. Fred Van Vliet started playing, instead of 20 minutes a game, 32.3 minutes a game because he started playing way better. His points per game went up from 4 to 14.7. Whoa. His field goal percentage went from 25.6% to 51.1%. So he did basically double it. He was 0.1 shy of legit just straight up doubling it. And his three-point percentage went from 19.5% to 52.6%. That is, uh, yeah, that is startling. His plus minus was minus 40 previously. It became plus 73 after. He just could not miss. He couldn't miss. And really, his couldn't missing happened when he first came back. In the three games immediately following his son's birth, he averaged 16 points a game. He shot 68% from the field and 82% from the three-point line. He shot 14 out of 17 in three games from three. That's obnoxious. (laughs) 82% would be an impressive free throw percentage. Yes, the ones where no one defends you and you're pretty close to the basket and they're literally called free throws. If you shot 82%, people would be like, yeah, it's pretty good. From three in the playoffs? Huge, huge. That, yeah, that's wild. So that is the most dramatic example of parenthood turning a player into a whole different person. Now let's get into the stories of some incredible women in the WNBA doing incredible things. So first, we're going to cover the story of Cheyenne Parker. So we'll put links to the full articles of this so you can read all about it. But Cheyenne Parker is a player on the Atlanta Dream, and she could have waited until 2023, this upcoming season, to return. But she said, no chance. I want to come back. So she worked her way back as quickly as she could to try to get back into the league. And then for a story that I'm referencing here on USA Today, she basically just kind of documented her whole process of getting back onto the court. And it's really impressive about it. Parker said, quote, it wasn't easy. It was definitely a journey, a lot of long days and hard work. When I'm tired, I just push through the fatigue. We are known for mental toughness and fortitude. So just being able to do that and realizing that nothing really compares to birth. It just gave me extra drive. It changes my perspective on life in general. I used to be like ball is life, ball is life. But now Naomi, her daughter is life. It's, It's so sweet. I love that. She said that the hardest part of getting back onto the court was getting down to her playing weight. So just really trying to not only just work into shape, but specifically the shape that she's accustomed to playing. And this is something that players get into. And it's for a lot of different sports. It's just you get used to performing at a particular weight, not that necessarily one weight is is better, but it's just different. You know, you're used to having a certain Mm -hmm. amount of mass and being quick or you're used to being a bit stockier and being able to post people up in the paint. So just not having to radically shift her play style, she just had to get used to, you know, when I used to play, I used to weigh this much and I need to get back to that because I don't have the ability to reshape my entire game in addition to trying just to get back into shape and get back onto the court. Right. So each morning she would have particular vitamins and protein shakes and she had to stay hydrated in particular ways so that she could produce breast milk for her kid. 
She also had to do various meal prep and all these things to try to get to her specific weight goals. She had six weeks of physical therapy to rebuild her core muscles because pregnancy absolutely destroys your core. And then three or four times a week, she would do drills and just get lots of shots up in the gym to try to get a feel back for the game. She said, quote, I had to do that because when I gave birth, my muscles were gone. She said that that was the toughest thing to get back, but she worked with her trainer. She was on a mission and she got back and was able to play earlier than expected. So I just thought it was cool that someone documented what that return was like. And the rest of this article is really interesting talking about what motherhood in the WNBA bubble was like. So it was a really interesting read. Yeah, that's very interesting because, I mean, when I think of all my friends who have had children, they talk a lot about how hard it is to just get back to the point where you feel like you can exercise, period, let alone playing a sport at the highest possible level. So I I can't imagine how how difficult that is. And and we've heard a lot about it um, in terms of Serena Williams, like yeah. Serena playing in, in major tournaments while she was pregnant and then also um, coming back from that, especially uh, having her child at what is considered, you know, an, an, an older age. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, whether Serena or a WNBA player or a woman getting back on a, a treadmill or Peloton or uh, playing whatever sport it is, uh, it's it's got to be tough. Yeah, really tough, really tough. Now, speaking of tough, this next story is a bit of a tough situation, but again, a lot of respect. So Skylar Diggins-Smith had a really rough go of her pregnancy and dealing with it. This was in the previous CBA, so now things have gotten better, and she's been a big advocate for trying to make things better in the league. But Skylar Diggins-Smith used to play for the Dallas Wings, and she had frustrations around the Dallas Wings, which eventually led her to not want to stay with the team, and now she plays for the Phoenix Mercury. But she revealed that she played the entirety of the 2018 WNBA season, so three plus months of basketball. She played the entire thing while pregnant and didn't tell anybody because she was afraid she'd be discriminated against for doing it. Jeez. So she basically did a tweet thread to kind of explain things about it. She was pregnant during the 2018 season. She gave birth afterwards. And then she sat out the 2019 season because of postpartum depression and It just really affected her hard. She's become a huge advocate about trying to make people understand that postpartum depression is real and it's severe and it's not just this little emotional, oh, come on, get over it sort of thing. Like it's a real actual thing that affects a lot of women and a lot of people. And she has really tried to use her platform to spread awareness about it, make sure that the WNBA is recognizing it. And about this, she said, quote, people called me a quitter, said I gave up on my team, et cetera, et cetera. Not knowing I took two full months away from everything because of postpartum depression with limited resources to help me be successful mentally and physically. So the limited resources, she had said that she felt like she didn't get enough support from the Dallas Wings in dealing with it. And that led to her not wanting to be a part of that team anymore. She went on to say about it, specifically, having no support from your own organization is unfortunate. The blasts that disrespect mothers and our rights in the WNBA is incredible. So she wasn't necessarily specific about what happened, but it was clear that she felt like the Dallas Wings could have done a better job supporting her. Now, the Dallas Wings put out some sort of vague statement of, we support our athletes in getting the care they need, whether that's physical or mental in nature. We also understand the serious nature of an individual's mental health due to the confidentiality associated. Like It's just all this like very statement-y statement. But it seemed like that it was 
a situation where she felt like she could have been supported better. She wasn't supported. She wanted to be out. And if you look at Skylar Diggins-Smith's numbers for the year that she was pregnant, and as well as when she came back, just ridiculous stuff. 2018, she's pregnant. 18 points a game, six assists a game, three rebounds a game, shot 46% from two and 30% from three. Like, that's pretty good stuff. I would say. Averaging 34 minutes a game while pregnant? Yeah. 32 games worth of that? Come on. I would be curious to know if she confided in any teammates at that time or if she truly kept it uh, a secret from everyone. That would be very, very interesting. And then 2020, when she came back after sitting that year out, she was incredible in her first year in Phoenix, almost putting up identical numbers to the year before with better shooting percentages. It's it's impressive that she was able to put together an all-star season in 2018. And, you know, she took the time she needed in 2019. Now she's an absolute baller. And she sat out, I believe, the end of 2022 for personal reasons. And I'm not sure if it's been confirmed or not, but I, I people were wondering if she had been pregnant again and if that was the situation. Hmm. So yes, I think that is the thing. I'm just looking at an ESPN report from October of 2022 saying that Skylar Diggins-Smith is now pregnant. So we'll have to see how things work out with the future season, but you would hope that the Phoenix Mercury do a better job where the Dallas Wings didn't give her the support that she felt she needed. Totally. Now let's end this episode on what is truly a triumphant story. This is the story of Nafisha Collier who came back to the court 10 weeks after giving birth, 10 weeks, and she started a WNBA game. Wow. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. It's very, it's very fast. Now, the reason she wanted to do this is that Nafisha Collier is a player on the Minnesota Lynx. And last season, as we talked about a lot on the pod, was Sylvia Fowles' final season. And basically, Fee had decided, I am not missing being on the court with one of the greatest players of all time. I'm not missing out on this opportunity. I'm working back. I don't care what anybody tells me. I want to play a game as soon as I can. And she worked to make it happen. And she did get on the court with Sylvia Fowles. And it's so heartwarming. So here's the story of it all. She announced her pregnancy in November of 2021. Three months later, Sylvia Fowles said the 2022 season would be her last. So from that moment on, Collier decided, all right, I'm going to work back. And I'm going to do it so that I can play with Sylvia before she retires. And some folks in her life warned her that this was unsafe and that it was a risk. But she worked with doctors and trainers. And her husband's actually a trainer as well. He trains NBA players. She put together a team saying, look, I've got a goal. Let's make it happen. So Collier, in her own words, quote, worked her ass off to put herself in the position to start a WNBA game 74 days after giving birth, which is fantastic. And her husband... In a great quote, shout out to this dude, very much understanding the difficulty. He said about this, quote, it's been inspiring to watch her work herself back to a spot where she can even compete again this quickly. It's really hard to fathom when you really think about it because birth and her recovery was very tough for her. Then to compound that with getting in playing shape, it's truly, for lack of a better word, badass. I don't think you can truly understand the gravity of it all unless you've had a child of your own to witness what women go through. She's an absolute warrior and I couldn't be more proud and happy for her. What a dude. Great husband move from this guy. Oh, gotta love that. So she worked her way back. As I said, 74 days after giving birth, she was back on the court. She played 21 minutes, scored six points, had two rebounds, had an assist, a steal, and a block, and the Lynx won the game. And they were in the middle of fighting for a playoff spot, so it was a meaningful game about it. 
Collier said, quote, I came here with the goal of playing with them, the team again, especially Sill. I've made that no secret. So it felt good to be on the court at the same time as her for this last season. And then she went on to say, and it was good to get that rust off too. It was nice. So it's just so impressive. I love that she had a goal and it was so that she could play with her friend, a WNBA legend one last time. She worked back with the help of supportive people in her life, put up some solid numbers in those final games she played that year. Obviously not to the degree that she had done previously, but she helped her team contribute towards the end of the season when they were making a playoff push. And I think that's great. And I just think it's very impressive. So after seeing sad news about the Dierica Hamby thing, I thought let's put some good stuff into the world about players and player spouse pregnancy. And that is the three on three that I put together for the episode. I love that. And and looking forward to the, uh, to the five on five. Yeah. Going to get some more stuff up there as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horror Sources, hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor for this episode is Lee Prin. The music is by Bettina Campamanas. The website is by Kelly Beckman Schubert. And the art is by Allison Wakeman. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, He Sells Seashells, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, Cade the Conqueror, Basketball is Life 2, Mikhail Loves Allison, Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Borjali, Weird Questions, Top 5 All-Star Pick, Steph Curry for three. One, two, three, four, bang. Lobster Bisquay. Hi, Trish. Ginger Spurs boy. Nicole Arsenault. Something mean about the Knicks. Stubby Boardman gets paid. And Chase Underulo. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because... Horse Hoops got picked last in the All-Star draft. Uh, they were the one kid remaining. There was a non-number of people and they just had to get the account shut down. You really hate to see it and you feel for him. You do. Go to our website, horsehoops.com for links to some of the stuff we talked about today, including a bunch of my photos from that week in Los Angeles and also some more details about uh, players coming back after uh, after pregnancies or after their partners giving birth. It's inspiring stuff and we love to see it. Mm-hmm. And we also love to see folks supporting the show. You can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops where we've got new fun stuff, including the live stream replay that Adam and I did where we watched a game on a service called Playback where you can watch a game and also us. So it's almost as if we were the broadcasters. <laughs> it was fun and we're going to always give access to patrons to that. So any level of Patreon, you can watch that replay. So check that out at patreon.com slash horsehoops. You can also get merch at horsehoops.com slash merch. And we'll close out this episode by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. What are we feeling? What are we feeling? Um... If we wanted to, I know that Dierica Hamby is going to name her second child Legend. And I think if we did a go Legend on three, because no baby deserves to have this much publicity about (laughs) their pregnancy or their fetus-like nature, I think uh, maybe we just give a little shout out to, to Legend that they can rise from all of the drama and just be a cool person. I love it. Go Legend. Go Legend on three. One, two, three. Go, Go legend. legend! I just wish uh, she were married to Marcus Camby so that the hyphenated last name could be Hamby Camby. Legend Hamby Camby is a pretty, pretty good name. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time, folks. <laughs>